Welcome to Time Out with Troy on 101.9 FM. Hello everyone and welcome to Time Out with Troy. My name is Troy Langstaff. Thanks for joining me today. Now, a few days ago, I got to sit down with Alex Siofis of the Queen's Queen's women's volleyball team to talk about the Stepping for the Cure campaign that took place over Reading Week, which was last week. We talked about her history with running these events and why she spearheaded these initiatives over the last few years. And I also got to learn about why she's been so involved with these events in general and what her motivation has been. Now, I don't want to spoil anything, but it was a really nice story, and I definitely encourage you to, you know, just really pay attention during the interview. Uh, I'm changing things very, very slightly this week. I'm going to do the On This Day in History after the interview because it comes with quite an, interest in, with quite an interesting story. Uh, and then after that, I'll get into my predictions from last week, some head coaching news in hockey, some NFL news, and more. So that being said, let's get into the interview and enjoy. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome. With me here today is Alex Siofis of the Queen's women's volleyball team. Alex, thanks for doing this. Thanks so much for having me. Um, my first question is about the the Steps for the Cure fundraiser that you ran this past week in support of Carly's Angels. So just before we get started, could you tell us a little bit about the organization and what it means to you? Yeah, for sure. So Carly's Angels is an organization that supports integrative cancer care. So they support the combination of both traditional cancer treatments as well as holistic treatments. They've recently funded a psychosocial oncology ward at Sickest Hospital in Toronto, which helps patients who are, especially young patients who have been diagnosed with cancer, get access to um, the psychological help that they need, which is so important and often overlooked when you're uh, diagnosed with cancer. So that's been their recent big initiative, and it provides patients with direct specialists who can help guide them through that extremely tough time. Oh, yeah, for sure. My second question here is, you know, you could have just started the Steps for the Cure campaign, you know, just to basically raise money and awareness for the Canadian Cancer Society. So that being said, why have you specifically chosen to build your campaign around Carly's Angels and Carly's uh, legacy? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, So I actually have a personal connection to Carly Allison and the Allison family. Um, My older sister, Kat, was Carly's age and they went to high school together. So they were very good friends throughout high school, throughout Carly's diagnosis and throughout her battle with cancer. So we were there through the whole battle and the ups and the downs. And we saw how positive Carly remained throughout the whole journey. She was diagnosed with an extremely rare form of cancer. It was, I think, one in a billion. Like only seven other people had that type of cancer. And so the treatment plan was a little unknown. The doctors were kind of giving their best guess. Um, And that's why the combination of both holistic and traditional treatments helped her so much. And the family ran into problems where the holistic treatments were effective but because they weren't available in hospital, it was difficult for Carly to get both access to both of those treatments. Um, so they wanted no other family to have to go through what they went through. And that's how Carly's Angels was founded. Um, it was founded while Carly was still alive and they actually put on the first like cuts for Carly 
when Carly shaved her head and a bunch of family members did it with her. Um, and since then, there's been dozens of events that we've been very involved in. And just the message around Carly's story is just so inspirational. And I, you know, I wear the necklace that, you know, I bought to support their foundation to practice every day for the volleyball team. And it just reminds me that, like, you know, I need to be so gracious and grateful for my, for my, um, sorry, sorry. I need to be so grateful for the fact that I'm healthy and um, that I continue to play my sport because for a lot of people, they take that for granted. And when it's taken away from them, it can be hard. And Carly just remains so positive throughout her journey. Um, and so I think we can all take inspiration from that, especially a lot of people in athletics and in various sports. Yeah, absolutely. I know I was doing my research yesterday and it was just so touching to see when I was watching all the videos about how, you know, courageous she was and how strong she was. And I know that one of the messages on Carly's Angels is, you know, just to keep smiling. And it was awesome to see how Carly, like how strong she was mm -hmm. while going through treatment and stuff like that. And I know you mentioned a couple of the, you know, some of the events, like you guys have been doing a lot of events and a couple of events that you've been involved with. Um, I saw that two years ago, you organized the Dig for the Cure for the women's volleyball team. Last year, you had the Dig for the Cure uh, game. You guys raised over $2,000. And I guess you basically just answered the question, but it's what's, I guess, she's really inspired you to run and organize these events year after year for Queens? Yeah, um, especially at Queens, because I really want to keep Carly's story alive at Queens, because she was a Queens student before passing away. So I love to bring that, especially into athletics, where she might have been a part of the figure skating team here at Queens. And so I love getting that message out and getting other athletes at Queens involved in her story. Yeah, for sure. And going back to um, this, of course, the Stepping for the Cure campaign that you did last week over Reading Week, going into this, I guess, COVID year, you guys couldn't obviously do the the volleyball game, unfortunately. So what really was the stepping for the cure idea and how did it come about? How did you uh, decide that that was what you were going to do? Yeah. Um, well, there was some hope, you know, when we started practicing that we might be able to do uh, inter-squad scrimmage for the cure, like not necessarily against another team, but at least against our own team. Um, and it just didn't pan out that way. Um, we are back on the court now, but, the um, reality of being able to do a six-on-six -six scrimmage isn't anywhere close. So I was just trying to think of the safest way that we can, you know, maybe have a physical challenge or something that we can do that would encourage people to donate to this cause. And of course, I don't know, I think a lot of people have been using like their Fitbits or their Apple Watches to kind of monitor their activity. And I thought that was such a fun idea because you know, even if you don't have a watch, you can still kind of track your steps with your phone. Um, and especially with the importance of like getting out of your house right now, getting outside, getting active, even in the, you know, negative 10 weather. Um, it, I know it always makes me feel better to see that little bit of sun like peeking out from behind the clouds. Um, and that's another message that Carly's Angels tries to spread is like the importance of movement. Um, they actually hosted an event just last weekend called Just Move, where all they wanted to encourage people to do was to 
get outside, get active in some way. It didn't have to be a hardcore workout. Um, there were people, you know, outside building snow forts, going tobogganing. They just love to promote the um, health benefits of movement. Yeah, so we definitely wanted to stay with that theme. That's that's actually really cool. Just, you know, getting outside and I guess February, it's still pretty cold out. But, you know, even if it's just tobogganing or, you know, building a snowman or something, just get out, get active. That's pretty cool. Um, so how did you know, what was the participation like? Like, was there any participation outside of the volleyball team for the Stepping for the Cure? Did you guys try to get, you know, families and friends to participate? Or how did you try to create awareness and get people to donate there? Yeah, so when we did our volleyball game, obviously we wouldn't ask any other teams or people to play volleyball against us. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I thought it would be a great um, challenge to um, ask other varsity teams to you know, get a couple of their team members together and to take us on in the little step challenge. Um, so I sent an email out to coaches and the varsity leadership council um, and there was interest. So we ended up having about eight varsity teams um, competing in the step challenge. And I think people really jumped at the opportunity because it's been so long since any of us have ever competed. And, oh, yeah. you know, we're all varsity athletes. We love competition. <laughs> <laughs> so that was really fun to see, like, people get so excited to compete in something as small as this. Um, and, you know, a lot of the teams helped us fundraise. They helped us spread the word. Uh, the support was really amazing from all of athletics, um, especially the people in administration who helped us organize and helped us um, promote through the Queen's Gales Instagram. That was great, too. And they've been great in the past with helping us organize the big to Cure Games. So really, the Queen's community in general has been so supportive of this initiative. That's awesome. I guess if there's if we could take out like there's if there's one silver lining with um, COVID, it's it makes it easier for to get everyone involved, I guess, with your game last year. It's just like it's just the women's volleyball there participating. It's a big event for, you know, a couple hours the length of your game. But this you did. It was a whole week thing and you got a bunch of teams involved, family and friends. So I guess that's that's really awesome, you know. Um, and my last question here is pretty straightforward. Where can people donate and how can we learn more about this awesome initiative and organization? Yeah, so we currently have a GoFundMe page. Um, it can be found on the Queen's Women's Volleyball Instagram page or the Queen's Women's Volleyball Facebook page. Um, we also, um, Carly's story was also so inspirational that in, inspired a movie to be made about her that's available on Canadian Netflix and it's called Kiss and Cry. Um, it's a fictional story, but very accurate and based on her life and her battle and of course her positive message throughout. Um, and there's also a book that's available called Always Smile, which was you know her catchphrase. Um, and that's available on the Carly's Angels website, carlysangels.ca, which is also a great resource for learning more about the organization what they're doing and upcoming events that they're running. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much. Um, like I said, that's all the questions I have. Thank you so much again for taking the time to talk to us about your campaign and this amazing foundation. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much for helping me spread the word. 
Once again, I'd like to thank Alex for joining me virtually to talk about Carly's Angels, Carly herself, and the Stepping for the Cure event. And to repeat, you guys can donate on the GoFundMe page. The link to that is in the Queen's, vo Queen's volley Women's Volleyball Team's bio on Instagram. Or to make things a little bit easier, you can just search Stepping for the Cure Queens online and it should pop up. Um, also, if you want to learn a little bit more about Carly's Angels or get involved, you can go to carlysangels.ca. They sell lots of merchandise like shirts and toques, etc. With 99% of every dollar given to the Carly's Angels Foundation goes directly to funding integrative cancer care projects. Okay, so now moving into some sports news and on this day in history. All the way back in 1924, Mary Boyd scores 156 points in a Maryland high school basketball game. Um, I read that and like that's that's crazy. We've all heard about Wilt Chamberlain's 100-point game, Kobe's 81-point game against the Raptors. But this is just insane. 156 points in a high school basketball game. The, the final score of that game was 163-3. to I did a little bit more research and it turns out that Mary was the first person, man or woman, to score 100 points in a game. Like I said, this was a high school game in uh, Maryland. It was Central High versus Ursuline Academy of Cumberland. So all the way back in 1924, just a little bit of background information, with basketball, they had the rule where once a basket was made, they'd go back to center court and do a tip-off instead of just the inbounding. So that is key to the story because the Central High Black Knights, the team that Mary was on, would use their center, which was who was six foot three, compared to the other team's tallest player, five foot eight. So they would use their center to jump against the other team's shorter center, and they would win that jump ball every single time. The center would, you know, win the tip off, pass it to another player, who would then immediately throw it to Mary, who was waiting underneath the opposing team's hoop. This worked 77 times in a row, supposedly. That's what it said. So 77 times 2, that's 154. And like I said, she scored 156. The other two points came off of... Uh, free throws so that's interesting I thought that was pretty cool I, I read it and like I said I had to do a lot more research or not a lot more research just look into it a little bit more because it was super interesting and that's the story that's what happened all the way back in 1924 in a Maryland women's basketball game high school basketball game moving on to my predictions from last week we finally got some predictions right I finally got a game right um, I had been 0 for 3 on the football games up until this point last week. I decided to do a little bit of hockey and a little bit of tennis. We'll start with the hockey games. So the hockey games that I, uh, I guess, predicted took place in Lake Tahoe, Nevada. They were the, the outdoor games that were sort of in place of the Winter Classic. Colorado and Vegas played on Saturday. I took Vegas, or I took Colorado to win that game. They ended up winning 3-2. Not after a lengthy delay, however. That game started in the, the late afternoon. And then after the first period, I think it was one nothing Vegas or one nothing Colorado. But then they had to delay the game because of the ice was pretty slushy. There was lots of, of holes in the ice and it just wasn't very good. So they delayed that game and the puck dropped to resume play 10 and a half hours, 10 hours and 37 minutes to be exact after the initial puck drop. So the game started again at 9 p.m. local time so that would have been 12 12 p.m. or 12 a.m. midnight eastern so that happened they ended up finishing the game like i said colorado 1-3-2 i guess colorado one for one moving on to sunday where the flyers and the bruins played that game was moved from 3 p.m. to 7 30 p.m. because of the ice issues 
I took Philly to win that game, but if you remember carefully, I only took Philly to win that game because I don't like Boston, and everything led to, I mean, I guess select Boston to win that game. Philly was 0-4 up until that point against the Bruins. Anyways, Boston did win. They won big. They won 7-3. David Pasternak got a hat trick, and now Philly, like I said, is 0-3-2 against Boston this year. So technically, if I was maybe putting money on it, I probably would have selected Boston, but for the sake of this, I'm, I'm, I got that game wrong. It's an L. I'll take the L. One for two in hockey. Moving on to the Australian Open tennis, I did a little bit better here. So the men's singles, I predicted the winners of the men's singles semifinal games, and same for the women's singles. So the winners of the semifinals, I chose Novak Djokovic and Daniel Medvedev. Both those guys won, moved on to the final. I took Medvedev to win, got that wrong. Djokovic won in straight sets. So for the sake of, of I guess, a score here, we're two for three on the tennis, two for three in the men's singles. Moving on to the women's singles, I took Carol- Carolina Mukova over Jennifer Brady. That was wrong. However, I took Naomi Osaka over Serena Williams. That's correct. And then I took Osaka in the finals as well. Two for three in the women's singles. So we're moving up. Uh, moving forward, maybe I'll do a, l- a couple more predictions over, you know, maybe it's just football. Maybe football is the issue. I'll just stick with hockey and maybe some some tennis majors. I don't know who the next tennis major is. But but now that that's said and done, that's that's over. We'll move on to some hockey news. I guess some sports news that took place over the last week. There really wasn't much until the last uh, few days. So I think most of the stuff that I'm going to talk about is going to focus on the, the last few days in sports. We'll start off with some head coaching news in hockey. Mike Babcock just became the head coach of the University of Saskatchewan men's hockey team, the Saskatchewan Huskies there. So this was strictly, uh, it wasn't really a business move. Uh, Mike Babcock just wanted to coach. He's a Saskatoon native. This past season, he took a role as a studio analyst for NBC. He appeared a couple times as an analyst there. Mike Babcock, if you don't know, is an NHL coach for 17 seasons, most recently with the Leafs from 2015 to 19. He has a pretty good resume, won a Stanley Cup back in 08, a couple Olympic gold medals with uh, Canada. But however, this this Saskatoon job with the Huskies is full-time volunteer basis for the next two seasons. He's not getting paid a dime. It's strictly, you know, just to be home and get back behind the bench in a move that can hopefully maybe bring him back to the NHL. I think there was some discussion that that was his ultimate goal. Uh, anyways, Mike Babcock, he's replacing uh, Dave Adolph, who announced his retirement uh, this past December. Adolph served as a head coach for 27 years and has the most wins of any coach in Canadian university men's hockey history. So pretty big uh, footsteps to follow in there for Babcock. Um, one of his tasks also, like I said, it's a, it's only a voluntary thing. He's only there for the next two seasons. And one of his jobs is to help the athletic department find and hire a new associate coach who will then help lead the team and then eventually take over as head coach after two seasons. Like I said, being home with his family was a major factor in the decision. Uh, interesting enough, actually, Babcock played for the Huskies all the way back in 1981 for, I think it was one season, and then he returned back to the WHL for one season. And then, um, anyways, he's going to start his new role with the Huskies in May after Adolf, you know, officially retires on May 1st. Moving into the NHL, interesting enough, I'm not sure, I didn't really see this coming as a Habs fan. Well, maybe I should have, actually, maybe I should have been paying a bit more closer a bit closer attention to this. But anyways, the Montreal Canadiens fired head coach Claude Julien and assistant coach Kirk Muller. This was announced on Wednesday 
and their current assistant coach, I guess, Dominique Ducharme, is going to take over as a head coach on an interim basis. And Montreal also added Alex Burroughs to the coaching staff. If you don't know, Alex Burroughs used to play for the Canucks. He was a staple on that team that made it to the cup final back in 2011. Like I said, this may come as a bit of a surprise. Montreal started the season very hot. 7-1-2 record, but since then they've gone 2-4-2. They only have two wins in the last eight games. They have back-to-back losses against the worst team in the NHL, Ottawa. And adding those scores to the record against Ottawa this season, Montreal is now 1-1-2 against the Ottawa Senators this season. That was That's brutal. I mean, if you're a Habs fan, you might know last year they lost all four meetings against... I think it was Detroit, who was the worst team in the league last season. But that just simply cannot happen. And very controversial, I might add, as a Habs fan. If you watch the Montreal-Ottawa game just a couple days ago, it was a very controversial ending. Um, I guess I'll briefly touch on it. But Brendan Gallagher tipped in a shot with about two seconds left and made contact with Matt Murray, the Ottawa goalie, just seconds before. five. I think it was like four or five seconds they reviewed, they called it a goal on the ice, then they reviewed it, took it back, said there was goaltender interference, lots of uproar in tw- on Twitter and, you know, throughout the NHL saying that, you know, Matt Murray had lots of time to reset. That non, that uh, waved off goal, I guess you could say, cost Claude Julien his job because who who knows, maybe Montreal wins that game, goes on a hot winning streak, and all of a sudden he's not, Julian's not in the hot seat anymore. But unfortunately for him, that didn't happen. This is actually, this was, I guess, Claude Julien's second stint with the team. Led them to a 120, 129 wins in parts of five seasons. However, only making two playoff appearances, bowing out in the first round of both. Although technically last year was, they won the qualifying round against Pittsburgh and then lost to the Flyers in the first round. You know, to take it or leave it. You can look at that as you will. But nevertheless, Montreal is moving on with Dominique Ducharme. Also, quick stat about him. He led Canada to, gold, to a gold medal at the World Juniors just a few years ago, in case that name was familiar to you or sounded a little bit familiar. Moving on to football, I have two stories here. I'm going to start off with the Washington football team. They just announced a couple days ago that they will be, they're going to come up with a new name. Well, I guess they didn't technically didn't say that. They're going to hold on to the Washington football team name for at least one more season. They're looking into possibly finding a new name. They've had lots of of suggestions from the public they launched a new team uh, website called washingtonjourney.com on tuesday it's actually super interesting i looked into that it's a pretty cool website they have lots of fan interaction i guess they they have uploaded some some of the suggestions from their fans which are pretty interesting fans are encouraged to send in their ideas for a new name among the current submissions are the washington memorials the washington phoenix and the washington justice team president uh, jason wright also announced that the team is actually open to keeping the football team name, contrary to what I just said 30 seconds ago. They are open to the idea of just keeping it. It is a lengthy time lengthy timeline for a rebrand, rebrand, which means that, like I said, it's unlikely to happen before next season, but it's a huge process, as you can only imagine. They retired the red their former name before last season uh, because of pressure from a lot of the team's sponsors. Uh, However, the team is expected actually to keep the burgundy and gold color scheme regardless of their decision. And I did want to point out, like I said, I was on their their website that they created. And one of the cute names that someone came up with was a little girl named Brooklyn Jasmines wrote a little letter and included a drawing. And this is what the letter said. Dear the Washington football team, I would like to recommend that your team becomes the Washington Rhinos. I believe this would be a good name because rhinos are fierce 
ferocious and powerful creatures feared by all. You can even use these as your logos slash mascot, and she included a couple drawings of a rhino. Super cute. So I just thought that's pretty cool that the team, you know, features all their fan stuff and even these creative things by the kids. So very good gesture there by Washington. Moving on, the Indianapolis Colts. This was actually one of the stories that happened earlier, earlier in the week. I think it might have been last Thursday or, or Friday, but the Indianapolis Colts win the Carson Wentz sweepstakes, if you want to call it that. They received him in a trade from the Colts in exchange for a 2021 third round pick and a conditional 2022 second rounder that could turn into a first. So the scenario in which that turns into a first round pick, if you're interested, is if Wentz plays 75% of the Colts snaps this upcoming season or he plays 70% of the snaps and they make the playoffs. So if either of those two things happen, then that second round draft pick to the Eagles will become a first round pick. Like I said, the sweepstakes, I don't know if you want to call it a sweepstakes because the only other team interested was the Chicago Bears. Um, Carson Wentz had played horrible last season. He completed 57% of his passes through 16 touchdowns and a league high 15 interceptions in terms of the Colts perspective on the trade, they made the move to replace Philip Rivers, who just retired in order to spend more time with his nine children. I'm just kidding. I don't know if that's actually why. Well, he was getting to the end of his career pretty old, but he actually does, he does have nine children. So who knows? Maybe that could be the reason. Um, the Eagles have the sixth overall pick in the upcoming draft and selecting a QB actually is not out of the question for the team. So that'll be interesting to see whether or not they do select a quarterback with that six overall overall pick because Jalen Hurts, you know, in only a few games, I guess you could say he's he's shown what he's made of, but th there was a lot at stake here. They could have went a lot of ways with this, but they decided to put their trust in Jalen Hurts. Um, maybe they'll change their mind and end up selecting QB, but it'll, it'll be interesting to see what they do moving forward. A bit bigger news in terms of golf, I'm sure. You've already heard this news, but I just want to reiterate all the uh, specific details that we have up to this point on the Tiger Woods car crash. So if you don't know, it was a single car accident near LA just a couple days ago. Obviously, he was driving the car. He was the only one in the vehicle. He was transported to a nearby hospital, underwent surgery on serious but non-life-threatening leg injuries. He was extracted from the vehicle through the windshield. It was reported it was initially reported that the jaws of life were used. However, that was not the case. He suffered a shattered ankle, two leg fractures. The PGA Tour was quick to respond with a statement not long after it happened. Lots of pro athletes have, you know, showed their support for Tiger. They're not quite sure on the cause of the accident. Tiger was, they said he was going fast, obviously. He was wearing a seatbelt. He lost control of the vehicle. It rolled a couple times before coming to a stop on its side 30 yards off the road. Good news, though, about, it was about maybe half a day after the accident and not long after his surgery, it was reported that Tiger was awake and responsive. Um, in terms of the surgery, they had to insert a rod into his tibia. Um, they had to put screws and pins into his ankle and foot area just to stabilize some of the bones in there. Kind of gruesome. However, you, you get the picture of what type of accident it was. So unfortunate news there for Tiger. He's been through lots of surgeries he had the problems with his back throughout his career those are still going on actually I think he had a surgery on his back not too long ago within the last year actually honestly sooner than that because he, he's been out of the last couple tournaments because he's been recovering from that surgery so we'll see what happens we'll see if he can get, make a comeback 
So that's all the stuff I have for today. We'll end it with another On This Day in History. This one isn't as exciting as the basketball news, uh, the Mary Boyd basketball news from 1924, but it is pretty far back. Not, not all the way back to 1924, but close. In 1941, the Boston Bruins set an NHL record of 23 games unbeaten, a 23-game unbeaten streak. They went 15-0-8 during that streak, and I think back in 1941, those were ties, not overtime losses. Or I guess that's obvious because... If it was an overtime loss, it wouldn't be an unbeaten streak. Anyways, 15-0-8, 15 wins, 0 losses, 8 ties. That record has since been beaten by the 1978 Montreal Canadiens, who went 28 games unbeaten, and then it was broken again only two years later in 1980 by the Philadelphia Flyers, who went on a 35-game unbeaten streak. Right now in the NHL, I guess not talking about this covid season but normally they'll play 82 games in a year and I think back in the 80s I'm not sure if it was as high as 82 probably in the 70 75 to 80 range or 72 to 80 range maybe but 35 games that's almost half the season the Flyers were really dominant during the 80s with the Broad Street Bullies so anyways that's all the time for today thank you guys so much for listening we'll see you next week and stay safe everyone